tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Call. Be good. I love you. Welcome to Ridiculous History. Thanks again for tuning in. Let's give it up for our super producer, Max Freight Train Williams. Kaka. Kaka, indeed. They call me Ben. Uh, Join as always with the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Noel, I I, got to tell you, we talked about it off air. We talked about it off air. My man, thank you so much personally. Personally, thank you so much for uh, doing this episode. Well, you're welcome. Hold on. Sorry, I just had to hear that real quick. It's a fun sound um, made by a tiny Japanese toy. You know, Ben, I, you might have noticed my lackluster cacao. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm fascinated by this topic, but uh, I may have alluded in the past that I have a certain phobia of towards avian creatures um and the big talking ones with the big thick tree trunk claws those are the ones that um pure nightmare fuel for me don't want them don't need them i'm sure they're lovely to some folks you know if you know the the dr doolittles of the world out there have have at um not for me uh and the idea that these these creatures these these uh parrots you know could in fact be intelligent enough to like swoop down and have a chat with me. Um, extra nightmare fuel. Yeah. Or maybe it'd make it better. Maybe it'd make it more. Pa- I don't know. You know, I, that's a good question. Well, maybe we'll discover the answer here. Yeah. They usually, uh, in my experience, uh, a higher <sighs> birds of a higher intelligence often outside of, of Corvids, birds of a higher te- intelligence will often choose one pet giant 
one person that is their person. Uh, I've had experiences with highly intelligent birds outside of the Corvid world, uh, both positive and negative, to be sure. And this is something that's really close to myself, to you, for some negative reasons. And, of course, to our research associate, Dr. Zach. One night over sleep town, a doctor appeared. But this was no normal doctor. Who's there? It's Zach. Zach who? The doctor. Name Zach. And he's here to fill your scripts. Just for knowledge. Pet his cat. Teach you history. Books and stuff. Um, let's go with other things. Yeah, that'll work. who earned that nickname, by the way, folks. And uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, a creature, a bird, a gray parrot named Alex, who is often called the most intelligent avian on record. The story starts in 1977. There's this person named Irene Pepperberg, awesome name. Uh, Irene Pepperberg is an animal psychologist and adopts a one-year-old African gray parrot named Alex. Uh, Noel Pepperberg was a researcher at Purdue University at the time, and she was studying something that you know continually fascinates me, man. Animal cognition, right? The definition of intelligence. Does that elephant recognize itself in the mirror? Does the dolphin feel lost? Does the canine experience love, joy, uh, jealousy, or envy, technically? These are questions that humans have grappled with forever and ever, by which I mean just the, you know, the dawn of human history. And, or at the very least, since like, you know, the, the first Disney movie with anthropomorphized talking celebrity voiced animals, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Uh, it's certainly an easy thing for the mind to do, as we as humans tend to be a little bit self-centered. We, I think, assume that all other living creatures see and experience the world in the same way that we do. Yeah, and this is something we were talking about off-air. This is one of the things that fascinates me. First off, the human, the human uh, fad on Earth still doesn't have a workable definition of what intelligence is, what it means. And there are a lot of assumptions throughout, you know, the majority of human history that non-human animals are less intelligent, right? And then the pendulum swung to the point where uh, scientists were saying, hey, animals, certain animals do seem to be quite intelligent, by these various metrics we can produce. But are they, is it the same sort of intelligence, right? What is the difference between sentience and sapience? These are the questions Pepperberg is tackling in this amazing story. Up until she partnered up with Alex the Parrot, most people believe that birds were kind of dummies, you know? that they had evolutionarily sacrificed a lot of stuff for the ability to fly. And that they, you know, the the idea was that, okay, look, a parrot, uh, a minor bird, maybe a corvid, they can make noises, a starling even, can make noises that sound like 
Uh, they are responsive and cognizant of a conversation, but they're really just mimicking you. And that's that's one of the big questions about the story of Alex, the so-called most intelligent avian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this too, but it also does bring into question the whole idea of, uh, of even our intelligence and like does intelligence do intelligence and language necessarily mean the same thing like um, we can we, we learn language through mimicry as well you know when we're when we're babies and we get gradually more and more adept at it as we keep being surrounded by those sources that we then kind of internalize and then you know language sort of takes on a life of its own based on sort of set rules I would argue I've never really seen a parrot go from being able to you know recite back some sort of catchphrase to just all of a sudden speaking in complete thoughts and, and sentences. Um, but I don't know, maybe Pepperberg will, will prove me wrong there. But let's do start with Alex. Uh, it stands for a thing. It's an acronym, which we love here on Ridiculous History. Avian Language Experiment or Avian Learning Experiment. Pepperberg decided to work with the gray, the African gray, not the Norwegian blue, which is dead already in the, uh, because of the Monty Python sketch. Uh, African Grey, partly because um, they have clear, uh, they have an ability to kind of vocalize um, with a certain amount of clarity, um, quote unquote, again. Uh, and they are known for their abilities to quote unquote talk. So currently, yeah, these are actually also endangered birds, by the way, at the time. Um, so at, th at this point, she had three of the endangered birds as subjects, one of which was Alex, the star of our show here. And this uh, lovely Wired article from 2005 pulls a quote from Pepperberg uh, saying, um, they don't have the same rock, Polly wanna cracker type of vocalizations that some other parrots do. So they're a little bit more smooth operators, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more of like that radio voice when it comes to parrots. Well, I wouldn't quite call them quiet storm, but no. let's let's uh, let's play a clip so everybody can get a sense of this. Uh, we're just going to give you a little taste of uh, Alex the parrot, not Alex Williams, who composed our track. And uh, Noel, Max, maybe we can react to this. Uh, first test would be, can you tell which voice is the human and which voice is the bird? That's an easy one. Second, would love would love to hear reactions. All right, here we go. This is from an experiment where Alex is commenting on objects that he is shown by his uh, human friend. Whoa, that's right. How many? Two. That's right. You're a good you boy. Go no, sweetie. No, you can't go back yet. You got to Nightmarish. I'm just asking to. I'm going back. Ugh, it's like a demon. So we will uh, we'll end it there. Yeah, thank you. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, 
Millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. So we hear Alex indicating a number of objects, right? How many? He responds to, uh, and he keeps asking, or he keeps saying, I want to go back. Like he, he wants to, uh, he's kind of bored, right? One could say if we we're anthropomorphizing and then what else does he do? He asks for water, which might just be him stalling. What, what are your, what are your thoughts? I know I can tell I, you're a little creeped out. I want to go back to hell. Send me back to hell. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's like backwards talk. It's the kind of thing you hear. When you, Black when you, Lodge. You, yeah. yeah. Play it. Exactly. It's like, yes, Black Lodge, Led Zeppelin, demonic masking kind of. I'm sorry. I'm really not joking here. That triggers me. That voice is terrifying. It's not cute. It's unnatural. And I know why. It, it makes sense that it's unnatural because it's not meant to form those types of of, of, uh, of syllables, those types of sounds. It feels unnatural. Feels it, uncanny it feels, valley, it, huh? It, it does to me. Yes, it does. Um, it's like auto-tune, but not as sexy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to pull some statements from a June 15th, 2022 article that Dr. Pepperberg herself wrote where she says she recalls how she how she starts hanging out with Alex. She says that she was sitting across from Alex, gray parrot, and a uh, year old, and he seems kind of nervous. And she says we're in a really small room in this basement at the Department of Biological Sciences there at Purdue. And she said, I thought... And I believe that parrots were smart and I could use a training technique, which was revolutionary at the time, to change the way the world thought about 
a bird brain. And as Pepperberg recalls, a lot of people didn't take her seriously at this time. She even says uh, a friend once jokingly said that her path was littered with the remains of those who said it couldn't be done. Well, I've never thought that birds were stupid, okay? They freak me out. Um, But I think that's actually because they're quite attuned to to their surroundings and their movements are very quick and their their response times are incredibly fast. So I think that's partly what's always freaked me out about them. But if you look at the way birds like migrate, they almost have like this ESP thing going on. The way they, they, what the murmurings and all of that, like where they, you know, move in these crazy arrays. I've never thought birds were stupid. Uh, And, you know, like Ben, your fascination with corvids and their ability to kind of remember faces and, you know, seek out objects and give gifts and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm leaning in a little bit to my, my terror surrounding this topic, but I really do truly think that birds, possibly one of the reasons I'm freaked out by them is they possess some kind of otherworldly uh, intelligence, quote unquote, or just uh, sensory perception, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you're not alone there. A lot of people, in fact, feel that way about uh, children who also seem to have uncanny powers. Max is raising his hand, you know, not for nothing are creepy kids a mainstay of horror fiction. So, this is weird because history hinges on such small things. Alex was picked out of random from a group of 10 gray parrots in a regular garden variety pet store. So it's quite possible that a civilian could have picked up Alex. And this entire experiment may have gone a different direction. Pepperberg starts out with volunteers, some undergraduates at Purdue, some high school volunteers, and uh, what she calls some other faculty wives who were determined to help me make more of a place for myself at the university than they had managed. So this was crowdsourced. Everybody was interested, even if they didn't necessarily think there would be substantive science here. They thought, let's give it a go. And this went against a lot of established protocol Pepperberg had to get the dean to agree to let her get a federal grant or submit one, despite the fact that she was not a uh, appointed to the faculty. And then she talks a little bit about her um, her predecessors, the folks who informed this work, folks like Dietmer Todt. That's Dietmer Todt, <laughs> T-O-D-T, uh, who published an article about how he had once trained a gray parrot to do a duet with him. And this was considered, in Pepperberg's mind, the first stage in two-way communication, which introduces the model-slash-rival observational learning technique that she used with Alex the parrot. You know what Toad means in German? What does Toad mean in German? Well, the T is a little bit of an anachronistic spelling, and I may be overthinking this, but um, it, it means dead. Like to to yeah, if someone is told, then they are they have they have died, they have expired. Doctor dead, doctor dead. Nice. Or, or, yeah, I like it's it. Kind of it's kind of interesting. So Pepperberg essentially began to train uh, Alex along with an assistant. Um, they took on the roles of kind of you know presenting behavior for Alex to model. 
they would experiment with different numbers of objects and and colors and and things like that and of course it was you know at this point kind of a conditioning or you know kind of situation where they would reward the the bird with uh with praise or treats or whatever if the the desired behavior was was modeled correctly which which again like this is the earliest stages right of the training so or of the experiment so whether it continues to be just rote memorization or training is kind of TBD at this point. Um, but at this, at this point, they're really just kind of starting to get their heads around how do we train a parrot to, like, do human-like tasks. Yeah, exactly. And this this goes to the root of some of the criticism, as we'll see. So if Alex answers correctly and identifies this object or some aspect of it in a way the... Uh, the experimenters are hoping, then he gets praise. But here's the tricky thing. If he answers incorrectly, he gets scolded. That makes me wonder about, you know, Dr. Did teaching his <laughs> teaching his parrot the duet. Is he is he going, Gita, you naughty, naughty boy. That is an E flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also, how does one scold a parrot? You know, you, you, know. You, you know, you body shame them. Wave a naughty finger at it. It's kind of like, a, that's a bad parrot. What I like to do with my cats is I, I just hold up my thumbs and I'm like, this is why I'm in charge. <laughs> never forget. I am you the keeper never of the doorknob. This. I run it's the true. laser. <laughs> true. But like, you know, I'm surprised that it was that they're talking about it was scolding instead of withholding. You know, right. of, of a yeah. treat or something. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, is it? I mean, it, for for it to even register to me with 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 a creature like this, it would have to inflict some amount of pain or unpleasantness. You know, I just don't know. I, I want to know more about the scolding behavior. Right, right. Negative v positive reinforcement. So. This is part of uh, some of the criticism you'll see, but uh, just so we outline the process here, model rival aspects. Then after he answers correctly or incorrectly, the assistant and the trainer reverse their roles. This teaches, hopefully, that language is a two-way street so that Alex should understand he can respond to questions when posed by any human, not just the trainer. They're hoping to break through the idea of a bird bonding with just one person, right? And it seems that this met with success. Alex began to understand the concept of two-way communication. And this this is a funny part. You gotta love this, even if you don't love birds. Alex gets such a grasp on this that he starts interjecting. And if Pepperberg and her assistants make mistakes, he's the one who's like, orange or whatever. And I, I think that's, that's really cool. But Pepperberg, being a scientist, also takes pains to note that, yes, Alex seemed to be extraordinarily intelligent. Uh, in the worlds of parrots, but was not speaking language in the same way that humans do. 
not to mention uh, a fabulous, all that is interesting article uh, by Amy uh, Lamoro um, that points out, actually has some really good video on it as well, if you want to check that one out, all that is interesting, um, points out that Pepperberg believed or concluded that Alex was actually able to comprehend some pretty abstract concepts also recognize the specificity of questions, um, not just, you know, that classical conditioning kind of Pavlovian response kind of situation where you're essentially just training a creature to do a thing based on a stimulus, a stimuli rather, which is involuntary, you know, the, at that point, like the, the salivating, you know, um, with, for the ringing bell or whatever. Uh, this would be more like what they would have done with the Skinner box and like training, what is it, pigeons and such, mm. Ben, or chickens to like mm-hmm. peck a certain number to solve a math problem. A lot of those things we know were used as part of kind of huckstery sort of uh, circus tricks, you know, to, to convince people that this was a intelligent chicken by literally training it to, to do a thing. Yeah. Behaviorism, right. Uh, behavioralism. But this parent, Alex seems to be a bit of cut above uh, those examples, at least according to Pepperberg, there were some, you know, uh, ability to comprehend some of these more, abstract kind of uh, niche subjects uh, to the point where I believe she ascribed kind of a, a mental intelligence to the creature that would be somewhere in line with like a small child. Yeah, like a two-year-old human, a dolphin, a chimpanzee, or uh, the leaf blower guy who must get an alert on his phone whenever we're recording. So Alex does things that seem emotional. Right, that seem as though he is frustrated. I want to point to a great article by Denitia Smith in the New York Times, 1999, A Thinking Bird or Just Another Bird Brain. It outlines some of the difficulties of objectively measuring the intelligence of something that you come to think of as an intelligent human child that happens to have wings, or it's on that level. So One of the telling things, this is in that All That's Interesting article as well as the New York Times article, one of the telling things that he would do that it seems to exhibit emotional intelligence is he would play sometimes just for fun, the way that corvids, uh, chimpanzees, and even elephants do in the wild, and octopus under the sea as well. He would also get frustrated or appear to get frustrated if he was done with a test or if he was bored he would say, I'm sorry, or he would slam his cage door. He would throw stuff in frustration. He was a bit of a diva at times. And Well, yeah. yeah. We heard on that clip that you played too, Ben. I want to go back. Drag me back to hell. You know what I was, I was joking, but no, there, there, it is a moment where several times it's like, I want to go back. And then the, the researcher says, no, you can't go back. We've got to do more stuff. But I think the implication there is like, I've, I'm, I'm bored of this, this, these sh- shenanigan, shenaniganry, you know, mm. put me back in my house. Yeah. I want to, I want to lap up water with my weird black tongue. Hell for a bird. If it has a concept of hell, is probably being in a basement and being experimented on and not being able to fly free. And Pepperberg wanted to fly free with her research. Segway, uh, she talks about how her first grant did get a response. 
The response was, what are you smoking? She did not get any money. And that that is kind of a quote. That's from her, her earlier statement that we quoted. But she didn't give up. She sent a second grant in, and she got what she said was a tiny bit of money for a year just to see what she could accomplish. And she accomplished a lot. Let's go to Diana Rice, a psychologist at Hunter College, also works in animal cognition with dolphins and elephants in particular. And she calls this work revolutionary. But just like Pepperberg herself, other scientists in the field are cautioning against saying Alex's abilities are human. They say, look, the guy learned to communicate in basic expressions, but he didn't show logic and the ability to generalize that a two-year-old human child would. That's David Premack, Emeritus Professor of Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. He says there's no evidence of recursive logic. Without that, you can't work with digital numbers or more complex human grammar. And to be clear, Alex never did a TED Talk. You know what I mean? He wasn't ever out there like lecturing people or prosecuting a case in court. But to your point earlier, Ben, I mean, this wasn't exactly uh, the the research gods were not exactly smiling upon this union, let us say. Right. It was a very scrappy existence in order to keep funding required moving around, you know, uh, to various, you know, temp kind of positions and and, and professorships or adjunct kind of things, you know. So this really was a, a, a. a labor of love and something that uh, that Pepperberg was very passionate about. And it wasn't necessarily like, I mean, maybe the big picture, maybe this is someone that had vision and was like, okay, this is going to be worth it in 30 years. But for now, it's a very scrappy existence. Like, kept losing grant money. And then, you know, to your point, Ben, about what what is she smoking, often just treated with scorn and bullied in, in certain ways by colleagues and uh, and contemporaries. Yeah, but... Alex was good at identifying stuff. His vocabulary was uh, pretty creme de la creme, as uh, parrot speech goes. But he was even better at identifying colors and objects and doing a little bit of math. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. 
I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As we see in the vintage news and also from Dr. Pepperberg herself, he could give a precise description when prompted about the shape, color, or material of a certain object. And he had an active memory. So after he learned the name of a certain object, key, coin, quesadilla, whatever, uh, he, would, he would be able to identify that object even if it were in different shapes or colors. So one example, like going back to keys, he would see different types of keys. You know what I mean? Like think of the yeah. old idea kids of, toys kind of like little right. little little plasticky oversized colored keys that you might give to a toddler on a ring to practice fine motor skills or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, think of uh platonic ideals, right? Like when you hear the word chair, you think of many different versions of a chair, but you could always identify it as a chair. That's a human thing. Um, people thought. And Alex appears to have that ability himself. And he did, he did something massive. He was in front of a mirror and he recognized himself and he learned what color his plumage was. He learned he was gray. They told him, you know, that's you, buddy. That's you. That's what you look like. He is one of the very, very few animals that has posed a question about itself, its appearance, its existence, you know, in this sort of manner. This is monumental. You know, self-awareness is a huge thing. And honestly, a lot of humans haven't cracked it. You know what I mean? It's a glass house situation. That's right. And even like a concept like um, infinity, you know, or zero, for example, those are kind of abstract concepts. Like, you know, we can we can look at things that are there and say there are like five things there or whatever. But with, but to to be presented with nothing and 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 quantify it as something that 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 requires some some metacognition like we like to talk about you know thinking about thinking uh because well, what do you mean there's nothing there what do you call that well it's it's zero but also the difference between zero and infinity are more related than one might think 
So at this point, Alex can identify 50 different objects. He knows colors. He knows shapes. Um, he understands some of those higher-level metacognitive concepts. Uh, Pepperberg calls a, a zero-like concept, right? Uh, Pepperberg has never in her career heard of a bird being able to wrap their you know, bird brains around them. I'm not saying bird brains is a pejorative here. I'm just saying it is the brain of a bird. Back in 2004, she was working on a number comprehension study. Alex could look at a tray of green and blue balls and blocks and then tell Pepperberg how many of the objects were not only blue, but were blue blocks. This is combining, you know, shape and color in a, in a way that's seemingly not just that rote memorization. Yeah, yeah. And then she did something pretty impressive after they went back and forth on this trial of counting and then also categorizing by color. She said he might be giving some wrong answers because he keeps interrupting to ask for grapes or bananas or toys. He, he might just be bored. So she did this. She flipped the script a little bit, and she said, okay, smarty, what color five? And when she asked this, it was a trick question. She knew there were not five objects of the same color on the tray, and he said, none. He didn't come up with this word on his own. Pepperberg says he knew it in that sense of absence we discussed earlier because he'd been involved in studies on determining differences and similarities between objects, but the use of none in this case is novel and unique. And this speaks directly to criticisms people have where they say, look, did the, did the bird really recognize himself in the mirror or did he just happen to coincidentally just squawk some stuff that seemed relevant and pertinent at the time? So... Pepperberg knows she's onto something. She starts mixing in, this is going back to the Wired article, she starts mixing in questions where the answer would have to be none, and she gets similar results. This gets published in the Journal of Comparative Psychology in May 2005, and this is not even getting to the super fascinating part yet. So we said Alex is a luminary, you know? He is a Nikola Tesla amongst the world of parrots. So you got to get another parrot, right? If you want to do some real science. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So she gets this other gray parrot. This parrot's name is Griffin. And she wants to see if Griffin can associate sound sequences with quantities. So as every human listener knows, I just clicked my fingers three times, right? Click, click, click. So Pepperberg does something similar. She plays two clicks... And she's hoping Griffin will come in and say, like, true. But he doesn't say a thing. The guy's stone-faced. He's totally icing her. And uh, then she does two more clicks. And Alex, who was in the same room, just pops off. And he's like, four. And then she does two more clicks. And he goes, six. <laughs> and then she said she looked at him and said, you want to do an addition? You know, you want to do some math? Fine. Now, isn't this kind of what was happening with that horse situation with Clever Hans, the horse? There were like clippity clops. He would answer. I mean, obviously horses can't talk. So the only way Hans could respond to these math problems is to clop his little horse hoof. But a, a big part of the demonstration of that horse 
was simple mathematics. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, uh, Hans, God love him, is responding to most likely unconscious cues from his human buddy, right? And that's a big question here. Knowing that parrots do have a range of cognitive skills, is Alex simply watching, listening for cues and slotting in what feels like a correct response without really understanding that four plus two equals six? These are good questions. Um, Alex learned, per Pepperberg, to correctly put the numbers one through eight in order using uh, multicolored refrigerator magnets. And then she says he, on his own, learned to equate those symbols with the appropriate number of objects. So think of three things, right? And then think of the number three. And everybody using non-Roman numerals is probably using Arabic, right? Those That's mm-hmm. where modern number symbols come from, numerical symbols. So Alex was able to look at just three regular things, whether they're keys, coins, slices of quesadilla, sorry, last time, promise, and then immediately equate that. (laughs) Thank you. Immediately equate that with the written symbol three. That's pretty impressive, uh, you know, if we put the critics to one side. And, you know, this is obviously a very ambitious long-term study. September 6th, 2007, Alex uh, and Pepperberg looked their last looks and squawked their last squawks at each other. She says that they went through their goodnight ritual, which I assume involved a kiss on the cheek. A little tuck in, perhaps. Um, You're thinking of the dolphin LSD experiment. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's this different. is a family show. Yeah, that's right. It is a family show. I looked that one up. If uh, you want, uh, you want to get on a list of some kind. Um, it's a thing. Um, but yeah, she said that these these rituals would vary slightly. Uh, and this time, she told him it was time to go into the cage, and the bird said, "You be good. You be good." I love you. It actually sounded less creepy than the yeah. way than your impression. But do yes, we, do we do we have a clip of this? Let's no. see. Not the final, the final squawk. Surely, this is the tender moment between friends. Yep, we have it. Oh my gosh! Well, let's hear it. I'll try. I'll try my impression again real quick, and we'll see what it actually sounds like. You'll be good. I love you. All right. So we're going to play a clip here of one of their nightly routines. And he and Irene continued their nightly routine. I love you. I love you too. You'll be good. I'm trying. Oh, dinner. I'll see you tomorrow. So that's an example of of their good night routine, which seems oddly wholesome. You know, it's kind of Pixar. It is. And honestly, at this point, too, I feel like the bird's voice is a little less shaky and creepy sounding than it was when it started. You know, I think it's gotten better at intoning and Mm. kind of mimicking a little bit more of an. I'm sorry. Look, all you bird lovers out there who are cursing my name. 
I get it. I it's doubt just not. It's, I, I hope it's, not. But I, I, I didn't mean to, to make it sound like The Exorcist voice or anything. I'm, I, you know, that was very wholesome, Ben. And and Pixar like you're right. So a year after the the uh, the thirty years in question that was supposed to be the the ten year of this study, Alex was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so why uh, why why wasn't that enough time to fully understand? you know, whether this stuff is, is real or not. Because it still seems like the jury's kind of out, Ben. Well, it's partially due to, um, it's partially due to competing opinions about animal cognition. And also, also one criticism people will levy, this is not us, this is criticism that gets brought up in the scientific community. They'll say, hey, this one person and their team spent three decades with this one instance of the gray parrot, right? And so maybe they started putting out signals that they were not aware of. Maybe they, I mean, they certainly emotionally bonded. Pepperberg says that she was devastated when Alex passed away, unfortunately, about 15 years younger than most parrots in captivity. But what this teaches us, this amazing story, whether you hate birds or you love them and wish you could turn into a bird, wherever you are in the spectrum, what this shows us is that there is still a lot to be learned about the living world and about the other animals that we are so fortunate to spend time with today. I would say personally, I don't have the, um, I don't have the emotional space to uh, have a parrot roommate, you know what I mean? I, I would like it to be more of an indoor-outdoor cat. Uh, but we also know that in in ancient Native communities, people were well aware of these tendencies. They also befriended uh, these animals and respected their intelligence. And there's still so much to learn. The more we learn about the intelligence of other non-human animals, the more humans learn about themselves, which is quite a beautiful thing. Agreed. Um, so huge thanks to research associate Zachary, uh, Dr. Zach Williams, um, for finding this topic and giving us something to chew on, um, like a like a weird uh, hooked-beaked uh, winged creature might chew on a, a, a stick of seeds, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a thing they like, they seem to like. And huge preemptive, proactive thanks to all our fellow Ridiculous Historians who will be visiting the Ridiculous Historians Facebook page. Post your favorite uh, funny, wholesome, or creepy examples of avian intelligence we love to see them big thanks to mr max williams first of his name uh (laughs) big thanks of course as always to our favorite parrot jonathan strickland aka the quister who else who else big thanks to eves jeffco chris rossi otis uh big thanks to you noel no man caca right back at you and max thanks to you for for all your gentle and approving faces you've been making, I, I've really felt seen on this one. Be good. We'll see you tomorrow. Until next time. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 